welcome to Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based, biblical advice for your marriage and sex life. And it is the last Thursday of the month, which means we're going to do more of a men's focus today. So my husband, Keith, is joining me. Hey, everybody. And for all of our American friends, happy, happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We, you know, we're Canadian. And so... Yeah, we just that was figured, ages ago. Yeah. Like, I don't know why you guys have it so close together. It's kind of odd. But we figured we would do a podcast today anyway instead of skipping Thanksgiving. So maybe you'll listen to this after the turkey. Hope you have a great one. But for everyone else in the rest of the world, welcome to Normal Thursday. <laughs> and we are new grandparents, yes. relatively. Well, we yes. were already grandparents to a grandson, but we are now grandparents yes. to a granddaughter, yeah. which is wonderful. She's just over two weeks old now. Or is she three weeks old now? She will be three weeks old when this airs. Yes, that's yeah. amazing. And we thought that today we could dedicate this podcast to the postpartum period in a woman's life. Uh, yes. And helping Because there's men... some need for teaching there. Yes. <laughs> um, and Rebecca and I are going to delve into that in a minute. But I brought you on just to set the stage and just talk about how a lot of our Christian teaching around the postpartum period has really gotten the the perspective wrong yeah because we know that the the things about a postpartum period means is that it's a time when a woman has given birth to a baby Mm -hmm. so the most important person in that time period is the husband Yeah. That's that's the teaching. Right? So. <laughs> Pretty much. And that's what and and the false teaching of the week that we want to debunk, I sometimes forget to do these on podcasts, but the false teaching that I want to debunk is what's often taught to women is your husband will feel displaced when the baby comes, so it's very very important that you keep the marriage your top priority and that you make sure the sex life doesn't suffer. Yeah, and this as a guy, this really bothers me, right? Because this is what I see all the time, and I think a lot of Christian men feel the same way as me. We see this in Christian teaching all the time. Men are a certain way, or men act a certain way, or men think a certain way. So therefore, women, <laughs> and as soon as I hear that, I'm like, I get really mad, mm-hmm. right? Because we should be saying, therefore, men, <laughs> you know, yeah. because if we're Christian men, then we should be stepping up to the plate being Christ-like. So if the issue is men have a problem with X, Y, or Z, if it's that a man is going to feel displaced, well then, you know, you as a man need to get real with God about that and you need to get some help with that and you need mm-hmm. to realize that this is not your time mm-hmm. and that's okay and it's the way it should be because this is not your time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, our study found that 26.7% of women in our, in our survey of 20,000 women, we found that 26.7% of women experience significant postpartum sexual pain. Mm-hmm. And that is normal. Mm-hmm. Like, it is normal to have pain with sex after childbirth. It's common anyway. It's yeah. common. And the problem is far too many people resume a sex life too early, which compounds the problem, can cause problems of its own, and then makes women really hate sex mm-hmm. because they feel like he needs this from me even though I'm in pain. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to have a, a different discussion about the postpartum period and get real about what it's really like. So before we turn to Rebecca, some mm-hmm. research to share with you. Okay. Now this one is from a qualitative study, which okay. means that it's like in-depth interviews with a smaller number of participants rather than like a huge survey like we did. So yeah. a qualitative study. And here's what they concluded, um, looking at how women adjust to sex postpartum. Most participants reported reduced libido, experienced altered body image, and recounted resumption of sexual activity before feeling ready. A common finding was fatigue and feeling overloaded by the demands of the newborn. Partner support was described as essential to returning to a meaningful Mm. relationship. Yeah. 
you know, so most people are saying that they're resuming sex before they feel ready mm-hmm. and they're feeling overwhelmed and exhausted. And, and I think the positive way of wording that is that if you, it says that partner support was essential to returning to a meaningful relationship. Mm-hmm. So what I read in that is, guys, if you realize that, you know, there's a bit of, going to be a bit of downtime here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the point of this time is for you to support your wife mm-hmm. and to kind of put your own needs on the back burner for a little bit. You are putting your marriage in a situation where when things get back to, you know, the way they used to be, things are going to be better than ever, as opposed to generating a lot of resentment, emotional pain, maybe even physical pain. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's not what you want to do. And I know that some women really do end up prioritizing the kids over the husbands. And I know that there is a lot of fear for husbands. Like I don't want to lose my wife. Once the kids come, I still want that relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I do, I know a lot of women who really do prioritize the kids over the husband. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's true that that can happen. I mean, in the same way it can happen that husbands, you know, sort of prioritize work and, and, and the marriage takes second, mm-hmm. you know, fiddle as well too. Um, but I think that we're not talking about this as a chronic thing. We're talking about she just pushed a baby out of her yeah. body. Like, <laughs> yeah. So guys, like, the, the, you know, the, the, the teaching that's out there is that women... It doesn't matter what you just went through. He's really, really important. You need to remember him. It's like, you know, guys, I think we can take a few weeks and just, you know, kind of chillax a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I think most guys are capable of that and recognize that that's an appropriate response. I mean, like even in the Old Testament, women had 40 to 80 days where you weren't supposed to have sex with them. You weren't even allowed to touch them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So like, not that we should go back to the Old Testament law. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that there's this mentality in the Christian church that, you better be careful, women, because, you know, that's the worst time when you're postpartum. He might stray or get back into porn or whatever. Yeah. So you better make sure. What a horrible way to talk to your wives. I think we as husbands need to be saying, like, you know what? I know that kind of teaching's out there, and I want you to know I love you. I am so proud of what you've done. I'm so mm-hmm. happy that we have this new baby, and I'm not like that. And, like, please, like, don't think that I'm like that because I'm not. And we need to be reassuring our wives. And honestly, I think a lot of younger dads are great at yeah. this. And so, and I think some of the older guys are too. I yeah. think it's just that there's too much teaching out there, which makes it sound like every man is this lust-crazed monster who can't mm-hmm. handle six weeks postpartum mm-hmm. unless his wife does something for him. And I think that that's, that's a very low view of men. And I think we as men in the church need to start standing up and saying, no, that is not what I represent. That is not what I'm like. That's not what I want to be like. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So again, in this podcast, we're looking at the postpartum period, which is at least six weeks, and it can extend longer depending mm-hmm. on how long our healing takes. But we're talking newborn stage. We're not talking about yeah. everything else. So here, I'm going to bring Rebecca on now with the baby, <laughs> and we are going to talk about what other books say about the postpartum period. I am joined for this segment by my daughter, Rebecca. Hello. And my granddaughter, Vivian. Hello. Who is just falling asleep. She was crying just a second ago. Yeah. She is two weeks old today. She is. And so we thought that we would talk about some of the advice that is often given to women who are right in your situation. Yes, postpartum. Yeah. So we wanted you all who are watching on YouTube to be able to see Vivian. Yeah. But we're going to actually let her dad take her now so that we can do this podcast. So here's another plug for watching on YouTube as well. Although we really want you to download the podcast because we're almost at a million downloads. Yes, please download. Subscribe to the podcast on, you know, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Like, yeah, subscribe, download them automatically. It helps us so much. Yeah, because I think we're going to hit it by the end of the year and that would be awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Okay, the baby is off with dad on a walk. I think actually he's leashed up the toddler and they're raking the front lawn or something. Yes, So. And we thought that for this edition, we could talk about the postpartum phase of your sex life and your marriage. Because we've made allusions to it over the last year. We've made allusions to what different books have said. We've commented on it. But we thought that right now, while you actually are two weeks postpartum, it would be a great time to read what some of the books say that you should be doing. Yes, I think that's a great idea because I need advice and I'd like to know what they have to say to me. Now, I also need to say that you currently look a lot better than you've looked okay. like. So we'll, let's be honest here. Okay, I had, this is my second kid. First yeah. delivery was incredibly traumatic. It was really bad. Yes. Really bad. Like I had a horrible, horrible tear. Put it little crap. We almost only had one hole. Okay, right. Like yes. it was, it was yes. quite bad. And then I had a really horrible, like full body itchy rash. Yes, um, that's just a hormonal freak thing. Doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it sucks. And it lasted um, for like six to eight weeks. It lasted all over your body. You need a special cream. You mm-hmm. like it was bright red. It was awful. yeah. Like I was putting beta derm between my toes. Like it yeah. was everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. And so I was not walking with my son until close to four or five weeks postpartum. Mm-hmm. I was not taking care of him independently until after three weeks. Yeah, I had a C-section this time, mm-hmm. uh, an emergency C-section. And I am, I'm finding this very easy. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. And this is, she, she actually has makeup on for I those who are watching on YouTube. This isn't normal, but she did this just for the podcast. So. Yeah, and actually, no, I've been playing makeup on every single day. Oh, have you really? Yeah, I know. No, I'm doing like ridiculously oh, okay. good. okay, well, that's amazing. But yeah. anyway, the point is. <laughs> the point is, I was expecting to do this podcast looking a lot more like I did last time. Yeah. So maybe we need to insert a photo of what I looked like postpartum last yes. time. Yes, Uh For anyone who wants to see it. But it's, it's. I think this is actually going to be good because this allows me to see both sides of it. Because there's all these women who say like, you know, I felt fine postpartum and I actually frankly feel fine this time. Mm-hmm. But I also know what it's like to not feel fine. Right. So. So here we go. Here is a woman who is postpartum mm-hmm. um, and who isn't doing so badly this time, but last time she did really badly. And the books don't tend to differentiate between those two things. They nope. just talk about what you should do postpartum. Yeah. So who should we deal with first? I think we should just go from the beginning. From the beginning? Yeah. Oldest book? Oldest book. So the oldest book that we have, we for The Great Sex Rescue, we looked at 13 of the best-selling sex and marriage books and the iconic sex books. Um, and one of them was the book Intended for Pleasure by Ed Wheat. Mm-hmm. And here is something that he says about pregnancy and postpartum. <laughs> he says, when you are not having intercourse as frequently as you were prior to pregnancy, you should offer manual stimulation to him, particularly during the period of abstention. Yeah. So, like, I want to say, this is, this is pregnancy and postpartum. So, when you are vomiting 14 mm-hmm. times a day in the <laughs> first trimester, right. and those women who have to go to the hospital to get IVs put in, yeah. make sure that you're taking care of him. Yes. Yes. So, and, and, and make sure, you should offer manual stimulation to him if you're not having intercourse as frequently. So, in other words, his frequency of sexual release should not change even even though you're growing a human being and your body is going through one of the most traumatic experiences that it will go through. I mean, pregnancy is lovely. It is is. natural. It is beautiful, but it takes a whole lot out of you. It does. (laughs) But you should still be making sure that he is getting his quota of sexual release. Yeah, particularly during the period of abstention. So the Mm -hmm. six weeks postpartum in particular are extra important. Yes. That he gets his release. That's a serious problem. 
Oh, yeah. No, it's just seeing a woman as literally a baby-making factory. She's not a person at that point. Yeah. She's not a person. Okay, so let's move on to the next yeah. book. All right, so we've got His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley. Yes. Here we go. And this one doesn't talk about, like, like postpartum needs per se, but it does, it tells a long story of a couple named John and Mary, mm-hmm. where he eventually has an affair with Noreen. Mm. And he's explaining all the things that go into this affair and yeah. how to not have affairs. And he talks about a concept of a love bank, where you make deposits and your balance goes really high, but if the balance goes too low, you're in danger of an affair. Got it. So that is the context of this that I am now going to read. He says, on their fifth anniversary, John still feels madly in love with Mary, and she feels the same about him. They decide to start a family, and little Tiffany arrives as they start their sixth year of marriage. Critical changes start taking place in that sixth year. Mary is still the joy of John's life, but he notices an increase in his downtimes. And the downtimes mean when things are coming out of the love bank. Yes. Okay. While Tiffany is a little doll and John loves her dearly, she still creates new demands and negative experiences. Babies tend to do that, I will say. Taking his turn to change baby's diaper in the middle of the night is not John's idea of a pleasant time. Also, Mary's decision not to nurse Tiffany leaves John with his share of responsibilities to walk with her and hold the bottle. In addition, Mary has a tough time losing the weight she gained while she was pregnant. As a net result of all these common little vicissitudes, Mary's balance in John's love bank drops by 100 points over the year. Yeah. This is the kind of thing where when you hear men in particular talk about their kids this way, it's like you didn't want a kid. You wanted a niece or a nephew. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like you didn't want a kid. You wanted to be a fun uncle. You didn't Mm -hmm. want to be a dad. Because I'm sorry, the whole idea where it's like, oh, like we had a baby and like I love her, but she's really demanding. It's like, um... She's a literal infant. Like, (laughs) their job is to be demanding. Like, how stupid are you to have a kid and be surprised they're demanding? Like, I'm sorry. I know that's harsh. But, like, that's just ridiculously dumb. Well, but what I find so interesting is that he doesn't talk about Mary's love bank diminishing. Well, there's... Because Mary has to change diapers. And because Mary has to get up in the middle of the night. Well, because when he does it, he does it for Mary. Right. Whereas Mary does it because she's a mom. Yeah. You know, and this is this is the other thing, too. The thing that I... And this is a very subtle, small thing. But to me, when he says, like, Mary is still the love of his life or the joy of his life. It's like, well, you have a child now, too. Mm-hmm. Why aren't both of them, like, joys and love of your life? Yeah. So, he... Like, Mary is the love of his life. And the baby... He, he loves the baby. She's a doll. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, both of them are people that you're supposed to be totally enamored with. Mm-hmm. Like, when, when, when we had Alex, Connor did literally everything. Because, yeah. like I said earlier, I couldn't. Yeah. Like, he changed... He actually taught me how to do all... Because we do cloth diapering and stuff like that. And so, like, he taught me how we were doing it a couple weeks mm-hmm. in. Like, he knew everything. I had... I didn't actually give Alex his first bath until he was close to seven months old. Yeah. And it wasn't like Connor was so mad because he had to change diapers. It was like, no, this is part of being a dad. And he's so in love with his son mm-hmm. that, like, yeah, it's annoying. No one's like, yes, I hope I can wipe a poopy butt for the 17th time this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Like, no one no one wants to do that. But it's just so immature to be like, I want a kid. I want the benefits of having a kid. I want my wife to stay the exact same. I don't want her body to change. I don't want my life to change. I just want to have another cute doll accessory. Mm-hmm. And I think we really need to watch the language that we use when it comes to adding children to the family. Mm-hmm. Because this whole idea that... The baby is 
difficult for John, but not for Mary. <laughs> well, and Mary chose not to breastfeed. And so now John has to do night feeding. So it would be better if Mary did all of them. Yeah. Let me read on. Around the time of Tiffany's second birthday, Mary gets restless. She wants to be more than just a part-time secretary. She wants to have a more important career and doesn't want to wait until all of her children are grown and gone. She asks John if he would object if she returned to college, finished her bachelor's degree, and possibly went on for a master's. It will take six years, Mary explains, but I'll quit my part-time job so I can concentrate on the baby during the day. John agrees to her idea. He enjoys a solid and stable income by now, and they don't really need Mary's paycheck. He offers to babysit for Mary while she is at school and when she needs time on occasion to finish homework assignments. So he is babysitting for Mary. Yeah. So in other words, the baby is Mary's responsibility. It reminds yeah. me very much, and we're going to jump ahead to one of the other books that we're going to look at. But in the new book, Married Sex by Gary Thomas and Deborah Felita, they have this very strange story. Yeah. I believe it's in it's in Gary's chapter where he says this, Erica has four young children and she calls her care for them a 24 hour a day job. Her husband, Timothy, helps, <laughs> but he works outside the home. So, like, what I read is, like, well, Erica immaculately conceived four children. Because yes. Erica has four young children, and Timothy apparently doesn't. No, I know. Like, how, why Why do we say that? Why do we say Erica has four kids? No, Erica and, and Timothy, Timothy have, have four, four children. Yeah. And you can co-parent and be a completely involved parent, even if you're working during the day. Like, yeah. Like, this idea that, that when he's at home, he helps... Okay, it's, you're not helping when they're your children. No, it's like the way that you are parenting is during the day, you go to work to make an income, and when you come home, you take care of your children. Yes. That's how you do it. It's not that you work and so you don't have to parent. Mm -hmm. Part of parenting is providing for your kids. Yeah, and, and parenting is not a, a job. No. Like, parenting is not a task, like doing the dishes or doing the laundry. Parenting is a relationship, yeah. and you can't outsource it to one parent. No, it's it's just not good because kids need both parents. And so when when a man looks after the children so that the wife can do something else, he isn't helping her. No. Because when a woman looks after the kids so that a man can do something, we don't say that she is helping him. She's babysitting. We don't say that she is babysitting. We only say that he is babysitting because the underlying assumption is that she will always look after the kids. It's like no one would ever say Timothy had four young children and Erica looked after them full time. Yeah. Like no one would ever say that. No one that would ever say that. Because no. we assume that the mom is going to be a mom. We don't assume the dad is going to be a dad. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's two books where it's portrayed as the marriage relationship is one where the kids are her responsibility mm -hmm. <laughs> and having kids hurts him. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I want to thank our sponsors too for this podcast, Femile, which is a wonderful women's wellness company. They sell menstrual cups, cloth pads, but also wellness teas and my favorite vaginal melts. And I've been talking about these on the blog this week. Um, they are organic vaginal melts. They're vaginal suppositories um, that help increase lubrication, that help with elasticity, that help with some of the problems that you can get in the vagina as your hormone levels change. So please check them out at femily.com. I will also put a link to the post talking about the changes your vagina goes through during menopause and breastfeeding and some of these other hormonal things and show you why Femily's vaginal melts can really help. 
Let's move on to our next book. One of our favorites. Oh, our favorite. This one's classic. Yeah. Would you like to read this one? Oh, this one's my favorite. I will read this one. This okay. is Sheet Music. Sheet Music by, by Kevin Ke- Lehman. Here we go. Anyone who's read The Great Sex Rescue has already heard this, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Okay. So. Pleasing each other sexually doesn't need to include intercourse. There are times, for whatever reason, that a wife may choose to make use of what younger men affectionately refer to as hand jobs. Or what Ed Wheat called manual stimulation and intended for pleasure. Okay. A woman with heavy periods that last six or seven days, or who has just gotten through a pregnancy, or perhaps is simply not feeling her best, may genuinely feel that sex is more than she can handle. But with a minimum of effort, she can help her husband who feels like he's about ready to climb the walls because it's been so long. So, here we go. Here's the situation. Now, he does say it works both ways. If a husband lacks the interest but the wife is aroused, he can, then he talks about it in a really creepy way, but he can manually stimulate her as well. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, though. The husband is not postpartum. No. He's just simply not in the mood. Yes. Let's talk about what postpartum means for a second. So, I had a C-section, mm-hmm. which means literally every single layer mm-hmm. in my abdomen was cut through with a knife. Okay. Okay? Every single layer. You know, you got the skin. You got the abs. Like, my abs, I I am one of the few people I ever knew who in two pregnancies, my abs never split. Right. And now they've been cut through, which I think is just very, very offensive. (laughs) But, no, but every single part of my body was cut through with a knife and is now sewn back together. Okay? Mm -hmm. Additionally, even though I had a C-section, I still dilated. Mm -hmm. My cervix dilated to eight and a half centimeters, which means I'm physically not allowed to have sex or use tampons or anything like that because I can introduce bacteria into my uterus and cause a life-threatening uterine infection because the cervix is open. The cervix being closed, being non-dilated, is what protects us from uterine infections. Okay? Okay. So I am medically not allowed to have sex because Mm -hmm. it could kill me. Mm -hmm. And my body has just been like, I mean, I've just been, I've done the first half of the Sonnen 2 magic trick, okay? And I've been put back together. And he's saying someone who has just gotten through a pregnancy. And remember, this is the pregnancy where I feel great. Compared to the, la- the last Compared one. To the last, last one. one, you had a rash everywhere. Like, it was awful. It was awful. It was called PUPS, for mm-hmm. anyone who cares. It's an actual hormonal thing. Yeah, Only P- about, P- what, P- 3% yes. of women experience it or yeah, something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, where, yes, it's a big hormonal reaction where your whole body reacts in a rash. Mm-hmm. So, yes. And then why don't you show us what else we have here? So, on- yes. The other thing you gotta know is when you are postpartum, you have something called after pains, mm-hmm. uh, which are because your uterus went from the size of like over a basketball, like a beach ball, mm-hmm. back down to like the size of a fist that it normally is, which yeah. means it contracts and contracts and contracts, which means you bleed a lot, which means we're gonna have what we love to call the pregnancy pads. Mm-hmm. So for those <laughs> so on YouTube, you can this see This is the length. This is longer than my forearm for anyone who is seeing on YouTube. It has two wings. It, it has two wings. It has two sets of wings. It does. But not only that, this is the smaller of the pads that you wear yes. postpartum for a while. So you start out with these things, and I and I, I didn't save one, but the, the hospital pads that you start with are, are the size of the child's bassinet mattress mm-hmm. that you're putting her down. And you're just shoving that in your underwear because you are bleeding so much you're passing blood clots like often yeah. the size of toonies I, yeah and oh for the americans toonies is a coin yes it, it's, it's a worth two dollars yeah it's yeah I don't after know. i had katie i had hemorrhoids so bad 
that the obstetrician asked if he could show all the residents my hemorrhoids because they were such a great example of postpartum hemorrhoids. And because my husband was currently a resident in pediatrics, I didn't feel like I could say no. So I had 30, 30 residents in obstetrics looking at my butt. Yes. <laughs> and they probably hemorrhoids. had that spotlight out and everything. Yeah, yeah. It was it was lovely. And I had that. And I also passed a blood clot that was really the size of like a coffee takeout mug <laughs> and I called my obstetrician and I said this can't be normal like I have a blood clot like I it just burst like, a blood clot yes it looks as big as the baby this can't possibly be normal okay this is what women go through postpartum all right, what else do we have? Why don't you show so them? So here we have uh, what anyone who's given birth in a hospital will affectionately know what these are. These are mesh underwear. Mm -hmm. So this is one size fits all underwear, <laughs> okay? And I really do mean like one size like truly does fit. Like it's it, it really, there's a lot of give. I had to wear these for quite a while because they're the only ones that were gentle enough for my C-section incision mm -hmm. uh, that didn't push on me too much. Um, and these are the only underwear that fit those massive hospital pads right, right. Um, that, again, just picture a bassinet mattress shoved between your legs. That yeah. is what we're dealing with. Yeah. So we have the mesh underwear, which is great. Um, additionally, though, of course, as women are going through all this stuff with the whole vagina area, mm -hmm. women who are breastfeeding are also dealing with their milk coming in. Well, yeah. And like even that. if you don't breastfeed, your milk usually does come in. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't breastfeed because their milk doesn't come in. Right. But for for yeah. those of you who... who who have the milk come in as well, that can be a whole other thing. Like, I mean, both of my children, I got blisters for the first couple of days. Now, with second kids, because I was lazy. First kid, I didn't know how to get a good latch. Right. But that means that we have a lot of nipple cream going on. Mm -hmm. And seriously, this I have used so much of this stuff. Your nipples literally can crack and blister and mm -hmm. get calluses that fall off and then they bleed. Yeah. It's not that fun. Yeah. Um, and just... If, if it ever just, I do want to say this, if you are getting used to breastfeeding and it hurts, see a lactation consultant, it shouldn't hurt. Yes. Um, means your latch is wrong. But uh, that means that in all the time, I have nipple pads in my bra, like all yeah. the time and because the... I have oversupply issues as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm one of the women who has oversupply where, you know, you feed the baby and then like it sprays to the other side of the room. Mm -hmm. Um... Which yes. is a whole other issue yes. in and of itself. And then at nighttime, uh, when I'm assuming all these men are assuming that uh, the husband is getting ready to go, mm -hmm. I don't actually have nipple pads in because, again, I have oversupply issues, which means I have a flat pre-fold diaper because we do yeah. pop diapering. I fold it in four and I have one of these <laughs> in each side. <laughs> and I will tell you, it is a look. <laughs> Okay. It is really something. But that this is this is what postpartum is for a lot of us. And again, this is my like comfortable postpartum. And you're period. happy. We don't make, mean to make I this sound. I love this. We're part. having a great time with the baby. Oh my gosh, she's so you cute. Know, but but these are the this is the reality of what your body is going but through. The thing and is, then and here, then what are these? Oh, Please oh, tell right, me of these. Of course. And then oh, my pain meds. <laughs> we love pain meds. <laughs> um I have I'm on a strict ibuprofen Tylenol schedule and I likely will be my midwife said I'm likely going to just stay on them for about a month. Yeah. You know, because of the incision, because of the contractions mm -hmm. afterwards, just because of the general soreness that happens. Yeah. And and that's totally normal. Everything I'm talking about here is really, really normal. I actually have less bleeding than most women. And and what we're not showing you is what you had last time. Yeah. When you went through 
um, a tear. vaginal birth and you had terrible tears is the wonderful sits baths. Sits baths. Where you can't actually use toilet paper. No. For for five to six weeks. And you get this little bottle. A peri bottle. A peri bottle that you squirt. Oh, I have a peri bottle. It's over there. <laughs> yeah. I have Yeah, you have a peri bottle that you squirt to like, kind of like as a handheld bidet. And then also, um, and so that's that's what happens when you have a vaginal birth. Um, yeah. And, and also... Additionally, I had something called perineal spray last time, yes. which was a, a calming and soothing spray that you just have to, I'm just going to, you just spray it on your perineum. Which, which is, is the area between your vagina and your anus, which is supposed to not be connected in yeah, with the tear. Supposed to, there's supposed <laughs> to be skin there between yes. the two. And and um, and then you have this sits bath, which is, you, you put it in your toilet. It's a little bath It looks thing. like a bedpan that you yeah. just hang in the toilet, and then you fill it with warm water. And you sit in it. You, you just put you your... Just, your, your <laughs> You're just teabagging. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Like you just this. put yourself in it for like 20 minutes. You're supposed to do that three times a day while you're also doing everything yeah. else. And so, you know, it, it takes a, lar- a large part of your day. So this is what is happening postpartum. Yeah, and okay? I'm going to say. This is what women's bodies are going through. Yeah. And our Christian books are telling us. But hey, make sure, make you, give sure you give them a hand job. Well, and, and I want to say, like, I, I'm, I have, like, I'm, we're obviously laughing about how bad the postpartum period is. I really love the newborn stage. Mm-hmm. I really, really do. I feel like I'm good at it. You know, yeah. I enjoy it. And what part of the reason that we can really enjoy it is because I don't have to worry about feeling pressured to, like, pretend like my body's fine. Yeah. Because that's what I, that's what I hate about what Kevin Lehman is saying here and what like, you know, Willard Harley was saying there and Ed Wheat and everyone there, there, it's, it's like, I think, was it someone, um, in response to a blog post, one of our commenters once said, it's like men only want the parts of women's bodies that they can enjoy sexually. Yeah, Jane Eyre, she's one of our yeah. commenters. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's exactly it is when you read this postpartum advice, none of these books say that the husband should just suck it up and not ask for anything and frankly if he's like if his wife is exhausted and recovering he should take on more of the responsibility around the house Mm -hmm. he should take on more of the stuff with the kids like they're not charging husbands to be good um to be sacrificially loving their wives through the postpartum period like uh, all these books that will say that it's a husband's job to love their wives like christ loved the church and it's a wife's job to submit and respond all these books that will say that then at any opportunity to actually tell a man to love his wife sacrificially just say except that she should really sacrifice for him like it's like they've taken ephesians 5 and because they want women to submit they say men have to love their wives sacrificially but then they actually just put both of it on women Mm-hmm. It's like you mm-hmm. have to submit and you have to love sacrificially. And by the way, he doesn't have to do either. Yeah, because, you know, it, it's interesting because in Ephesians 5, it actually says that a husband should love his wife as his own body, yeah. which means that her body should matter. And in the Old Testament times, after childbirth, a woman would be with other women for 40 days and he couldn't touch her yeah. if he had a son, if she had a son. And if she had a daughter, it was 80 days. Mm-hmm. And there's different reasons for that. I have a post on it. I'll put a link to that as to why it, it might have been more for girls. Um, but the point was that she was allowed full time to, to recover. Well, not only that, she was full time to recover with the community of women who could help her with the baby. Yeah. Too. Whereas our books are expecting women to not let the postpartum period affect how often they service their husbands. Exactly. And that is not biblical. Like the Old Testament got like 
in the Old Testament, God expected men to be able to have self-control. How much more should we do so when we have the Holy Spirit? Yep. Um, and now, interesting, What? Let's let's look at what else Kevin Lehman says here on page 206, because it isn't just about the postpartum. He also says, um, a woman who has heavy periods mm-hmm. that last six or seven days. A woman who has a heavy period is feeling disgusting and gross. A lot of them, yeah. A lot of times. Okay, not all. And for some women, they love doing this and they actually feel sexy during the periods. And if that yeah, is you... Yeah, you go for it. More power to you. Yeah. Okay? But a lot of women have heavy periods because they suffer with something like endometriosis, which leads yes. to a lot of cramping. And a lot of pain. Yeah, a like... lot of pain. Or else they have heavy periods um, that also come with nausea mm-hmm. or just general bloatedness and cramping. It just, it's just uh, but for also, a lot of women. When you have a lot of bleeding, it feel it almost feels like you're open. Like yeah. you're way more open than normal and it's just not a pleasant feeling. And then to have to be sexual, even if you're not being sexual with your vagina, even if you're yeah. giving manual stimulation, like when you're sexual, you think about that part of your body and it's very off-putting. Yeah, it is. My baby's crying. All right. The baby has joined us again. Yes. <laughs> but I want to talk about the other aspect that he talks about. So he has postpartum, he has heavy periods, and then he says, or if she's simply not feeling her best. And this this really bugs me too, because what it's really saying is if a woman isn't feeling well, so if she's feeling sick, if she's got a headache, if she's just not feeling well, then you know what? She doesn't have to do the whole hog. She shouldn't feel like she should have to have, inter- have intercourse. That's okay. She can just simply give him a hand job. Why is the reaction to a woman not feeling her best not? So husbands, how about if you give her a massage, make dinner, make her a cup of tea and tuck her into bed? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, like why are we saying, hey, if a woman doesn't feel well, that means she should still be giving him a hand job. Well, and again, like, yeah, Kevin Lehman does say that husbands should like, you know, help their wives out if they want sex and he's just not feeling in the mood. But not feeling in the mood is also very different than feeling sick or again, like having just had a baby or something. Like, that's the thing. It's like, they think, oh, well, I'm being so equal because see, I told men to do it too. No, you actually didn't. No. Yeah. It's not the same thing. (laughs) It's not the same thing at all. Yeah. Like, for instance, if if a guy, if he has just come off a 36-hour shift, my husband used to do those in the hospital, and he's been up all night, and he's had horrible cases, and he has a massive migraine, and he's just completely exhausted, and you were to say to him, well, he needs to take care of her anyway, that would be seen as really selfish on, his, on, on her part, mm-hmm. because obviously he needs some rest. Well... That should count for women, too. And so I find it very strange that these books say, well, hey, if she's not feeling well, that's okay. There's an easy out. You can just give him a hand job. Yep. As they're, po- actually, they're actually quite an easy out if she's not feeling well. You just don't have sex. Yes. You just let her rest and recuperate. And by the way, if you're in the kind of marriage where, like, when she's feeling sick, she gets to just rest and recuperate, you're probably going to have a better sex life anyway. Versus if your wife thinks that when she's sick, she has to do something for you. Because frankly, that means sex is probably not that great for her anyway. Yeah, exactly. Okay, next book. And this one's a really recent one. It was out in October. It Married Sex by Gary Thomas and Deb Valida. And this re- this has two different passages on po- the postpartum um, period. Which one do you want to do first? Um, the one written by Gary or the one written by Deb? Let's start with the one written by Deb. Deb, let's start with the one on, there's two things actually, there's, so in, in the third chapter of Married Sex, um, where I'm pretty sure the topic is, um, you know, helping women feel good during sex and figure out erogenous zones and that kind of thing, there's this one section that says, a special note to nursing moms, and it says this, 
Sadly, many women know how sensitive their nipples are because they equate the sensitivity of their nipples with the pain of breastfeeding a child. I've talked to some women who have had a hard time disconnecting this part of their body from its function with their children and giving themselves permission to see their breasts and nipples as a means to their own sexual pleasure. For a certain season of life, your breasts are used as a method of feeding and sustaining your infants. And then all of a sudden, a few hours later, you have to make the shift from milk machine to a sexy woman. For some women, it can be a difficult mental shift, understandably so. If you're currently in that season where you struggle to allow yourself to enjoy foreplay or even sex altogether, remember that giving yourself permission to enjoy intimacy is important for your personal and relational health. It's one way to allow yourself to be filled up and satisfied. It's natural to struggle for a season, but be careful not to allow infrequent intimacy to become a pattern and rob yourself of the joy of being sexually satisfied. You deserve it. So first of all, I want to say, really good thing is she's not saying you need to have sex because your husband needs it. She's saying, right. listen, don't let yourself be deprived of this. And I actually really like what he said, what she said at the end. Yeah. Is that, you know, you, and, and I've said very similar things. Yep. Obviously, there's going to be times where it's difficult, but yep. but don't let this season continue too long because you don't mm -hmm. want to rob yourself of it. So yep. very good. But Excellent. there's one really big thing that I have a problem with this. Okay. okay, she's saying like this season is going to be more difficult. It's okay for there to be a season where there is no sex. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that sex is more difficult. That means that there is a season where there is no sex. Yeah, like that. That is one thing I do want to say. Like there, there's like nursing moms is you know I nursed my firstborn for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like, I think 15 months or something like that. So, like, nursing, I know, is not just the first six weeks. Yeah, and we're not saying you should go 15 months without sex. Yeah, but this whole idea that, like, you know, you have to be able to enjoy your nipples or your breasts being touched during sex or else you don't have a sex life mm -hmm. makes no sense to me. Yeah. Because what this, this is not a section about sex. This is in a section about nipples and breasts and saying, mm -hmm. like, make sure you don't not have sex. Like, well, you can have sex without your nipples being touched. Yes. And again, like, I, I again, okay, this TMI, but as someone with oversupply issues, <laughs> there comes a point where, like, picture a water balloon yeah. that's stretched a little too far. Mm -hmm. Okay? Like, you just don't want to spring a leak when yes. you're doing it. Yes, and and let's remember that for many women, orgasm brings the letdown reflex. Mm -hmm. And you may not understand this if you haven't had kids, but children don't actually just suck the milk out of your no. nipples. What happens is they suck and then you have a hormonal reaction which triggers something called the letdown reflex where you actually start spurting milk out of the milk ducts and you can spurt in a whole... It's not like one central spurk, like, no. like a baby bottle. It, it, there can be like... 10 or 12 different streams going in all different directions. So you've got oh, yeah. one stream going right up their nose, one stream in their eye. One stream on your own arm. One stream, yeah, hitting the wall. Like, and so <laughs> if you, you know, if you have oversupply issues and you have the letdown reflex during orgasm and you're not wearing a bra, like stuff can squ start squirting everywhere. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's not pleasant. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of women, wearing a bra with nipple pads during sex... is kind of necessary. While you're still regulating your milk supply, or especially in the evening when you're going further between feeds, because women often have much more engorgement issues at night than they do during the day, mm -hmm. then... You know, you might need to think about this. And so this idea that you can never have your nipples off limits. <laughs> or your breasts. Yeah, the idea that, like, you know, having a hard time disconnecting your body, like, your breasts and nipples from being a milk-producing organ to mm -hmm. being a sexual organ, you, you also don't have to. 
Yes. Like it's it's perfectly okay while you're breastfeeding if you're just mm-hmm. not comfortable with that to be like yeah right now I'm breastfeeding you'll mm-hmm. have your turn later yeah like that's that's perfectly acceptable you can have sex without using your boobs yes yes you can and th- now's a great time to learn what else you like yeah there's lots you of know? erogenous zones the thing about women especially is that women actually pretty much have like limitless erogenous zones mm-hmm. like that's kind of one of the the things that we found about women's sexuality and research is that pretty much anything can be an erogenous zone. Yeah, and I think part of the problem is like when women do breastfeed, their boobs get bigger and a lot of guys really like that and they like they want access to the boobs. And I understand, but we need to remember that the boobs are for the baby at primarily that point, yeah. at that point. And that doesn't mean that you can't you can't use them sexually, but it just might mean that there may be times when she really doesn't want to because she's choice. engorged, because she's spurting milk everywhere, because her nipples are chapped. <laughs> but again, I think this all comes back to seeing your wife, seeing your spouse as primarily a sexual object or mm-hmm. as a person who happens to have sex with you. Yeah. Like that's that's the difference because when mm-hmm. you're seeing your wife as someone who is a person with her own experiences who is also the person that you have sex with mm-hmm. is very different than seeing your wife as your sexual outlet. Yes. Right? Like this is a person who has her own experiences, who has her own outlooks, and also she is the one who I have sex with when I have sex. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that's very different than seeing a woman as your sexual outlet, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of books portray women as, including the book Married Sex by the way. It yeah. does quite a, quite a bit. Yeah. Um because I think if you're seeing your wife as a person first and foremost, you know, if her boobs hurt, your desire to like grab them is going to be outweighed by your desire to not hurt your wife. Yeah. That's the big difference is if, is if you're, if you as a wife can rest assured knowing, hi, yeah. If you as a wife can rest assured knowing that your husband sees you as a person first and foremost, who he wants to love to the best of his ability, you also don't need to stress out about whether or not you can like allow him to touch your nipples. Now, there's one other place in married sex where they talk about postpartum stuff. And in the context of the the passage that I'm going to read to you, Gary Thomas is trying to explain why men enjoy hand jobs. And here's what he says. Alicia wants to know why her husband, Aaron, loves what are commonly called hand jobs, manually manipulating him to orgasm. It doesn't happen that often in their marriage, but when a heavy period pregnancy or post-birth situation makes penetrative (laughs) intercourse problematic, Alicia is surprised at how grateful Aaron seems. Can I just say, I'm sorry, a post-birth situation, because once again, what she's gone through is a situation that he has to deal with. Yes. I'm sorry. I know that's, that's nitpicking. I know that. Mm-hmm. But once again, it's like a post-birth situation. She just had a baby because she pushed his child out of her vagina or mm-hmm. had his child removed from her. Yes. You know, like... Okay, anyway. so that's the context of what's being said. And now Gary goes on to explain why men like this. When the topic came up, Alicia finally asked, what's the big deal? Why does he like it so much? He could just do it himself. She appreciates Aaron's gratitude, but still doesn't get why he likes it. And so Gary is going to try to explain why Aaron likes hand jobs in the postpartum period or when she's having a heavy period. Yeah. And here's what Gary says. Here's what he likes. This is the difference between a husband masturbating to take away sexual tension and a wife taking the initiative. So what he likes is the sound of your moans and whispers, mm-hmm. the smell of your skin or perfume, The way your hands feel so completely different from his, the way your hair falls on his shoulder or chest, your feet touching his, 
the wetness between your legs brushing up against his thigh. And then later he says, your excitement as his excitement builds. Now, I haven't listed everything on that list, but I want you to notice there's three specific things he says. The sound of your moans, the wetness between your legs, mm-hmm. your excitement as his excitement builds. Yeah. Both, All three of these things are insinuating that you are getting sexually excited, yes. giving him a hand job. And I'm going to say, you know, a lot of women really enjoy giving hand jobs or the same way that a yes. lot of men really enjoy manually stimulating their wives. Yes. That's not what we're talking about here. Remember, we have to ask, and this is something I, I, I think I want to do a whole podcast on at some point, but we have to ask, who is the advice for? Yeah. Okay? Because if you're a woman who really enjoys hand jobs, you don't need to be explained why men like hand jobs or why no. you should give hand jobs. No. Like if you're a woman where you're like, yeah, we do this kind of stuff all the time. This is not your advice. No. Why would you need this advice? This is not for you. So he's giving this advice to women who don't currently enjoy giving hand jobs or don't get it they don't get the appeal right and additionally he's lumping that in with once again women who are on their period or who are heavy periods or postpartum and he's saying that they are getting excited giving a hand job now i asked on social media and in another segment in a minute i'm going to bring keith on and we're going to talk about what women said about whether or not they were excited but again let's just focus on this your moans if she's moaning, if she, like... <laughs> here's, what, here's what I think is genuinely happening. Uh-huh. I think that what's happening is we are training women to fake orgasm. Yeah. We are training women because what we're saying is it's not just enough to have to perform sexually when you are physically not capable of enjoying sex right now. Yeah. Okay? You also have to pretend like this is the hottest thing you've ever done in your entire life. Yeah. And postpartum and on a heavy period, your wetness against his thigh... <laughs> Can I just say, okay, like, let's just, again, let's just repeat that for a minute. Let's just, let's just sit on this for just if a second. If you have something wet coming out of you postpartum, it's not sexy. No, I'm just saying. And like, it is not. It's called Lokia. And if you do get aroused while you're giving someone a hand job postpartum and you start getting wet, it's just going to make the Lokia come out faster. Yes. Ah, like, hi, like, like your wetness against, first of all, again, with my rule, you should never say wetness when you can say lubricant. Like your wetness against his thigh. It's just, it's just kind of an icky phrase. You can say, you know, whatever. But, but. If she's having a period, heavy period, or she's postpartum, and there are there's wetness between her thigh, that is her like bleeding diaper like pad leaking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, that is not because she's sexually excited. That is her diaper like pad <laughs> leaking. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's and it's again. I just really think that when you read all this stuff, it's once again. How can you read this and think? This is advice that would make a husband see his wife primarily as a person. Yeah. Because once again, you're looking at a postpartum woman, okay? There's a lot going into this conversation Mm -hmm. that's all telling women, you always have to be your husband's personal porn star. Yes. It doesn't matter if you've had a baby. It doesn't matter if you're on your period. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if you think you're going to throw up and you have a migraine. Your job is to be a sexual object Mm -hmm. however your husband wants, whenever your husband wants. And by the way, we're going to couch it in really nice language about how this is for you too. Mm -hmm. And by the way, like, he finds it so exciting because he loves you so much. And to me, it's just all gaslighting women who have just gone 
gone through the biggest medical thing that likely either of them will go through in their lifetime. Because yeah, even, I, like, a knee replacement surgery and stuff, like, that's bad, but, like, it does not affect your body in the same way that pregnancy and birth does. Mm-hmm. Okay, like, statistically speaking, having a child is the biggest medical thing that your family will go through. Mm-hmm. And you are still supposed to service your husband sexually and not mm-hmm. only that you have to be so excited about it that you're moaning you're panting you're getting wet yeah, and let's be honest your excitement as his excitement builds that's just simply her saying oh thank goodness it's almost over okay yeah. <laughs> like, in those kinds of situations because again we have to ask who is the advice for if you are needing to be told to give your husband a hand job you are not naturally wanting to do that you're mm-hmm. being coerced yeah you're being cajoled you're being it, yeah it is coercive in nature it's gaslighting and it's coercive to tell women mm-hmm. that you as a postpartum mother cannot possibly understand how difficult it is for your husband to yeah. go without sex so you need to give him a hand job while you're still changing out maxi pads in the bathroom afterwards yes and you're supposed to be moaning yeah <laughs> you're supposed to be moaning and he's supposed to be seeing your excitement so you literally <laughs> are never allowed to exist in any way other than a sexual state. Yeah. Because if even during the postpartum period, you aren't allowed to just be a potato in bed. Oh, mm-hmm. oh little sneezes. And what, little what, sneezes. What, what I wonder is why is it that in these books, the advice is given to women about how you're postpartum, that's okay, you can still give him a hand job, as opposed to given to men saying, hey guys, you know what? In the Old Testament, men left women alone for at least six weeks if not 12 and maybe that should be our baseline expectation well, and by the way you wouldn't <sighs> even need to bring in the old testament that's literally what my midwives said yeah I, like and that that's that's all the advice that anyone's ever given me in the secular in the, world in the medical community my ob my midwives my nurses all of them were like girl you just chill for six weeks yeah. And then just start it when you're ready. And my midwives back in Ottawa, one of the things they did really well was honestly they handled the postpartum stuff really, really well. And they actually pulled out all the stats for me and Connor about like most women with a tear mm-hmm. do not start having sex at six weeks. It's closer to three to four, five months. Mm-hmm. And that is healthy and normal. And by the way, he's expected to just be supportive. Yeah. And that's what's expected mm-hmm. in the medical world. And so we need to expect even more of our spouses who are not only supposed to be good people, but also loving Christ. Yeah. And, you know, our survey of 20,000 for the Great Sex Rescue found, I believe it was 26.7% of women experience significant postpartum pain with sex, which means that women are trying to have sex too early. Mm-hmm. And often the reason we're trying to do this is because these books tell us we're supposed to. And so what, what we're requesting and what Keith and I certainly did in the Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex and the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, which are coming out in March is we're saying, hey, the postpartum period, that's a time when this may just be off the table. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, and you can get back to things afterwards, but you should not, guys, you should not be asking your wife for a hand job. If she's excited no. and wants to give one, go for it. That's awesome. Like, go for it. But that should not be the expectation. Yeah. The expectation should be she needs to recover, and yes. that is the first priority. Well, and not only that, she needs to feel like you are truly a co-parent with her, mm-hmm. and that you aren't just waiting for her to get, quote-unquote, back to normal. Because 
any woman who's had a kid can tell you they're very aware that they are never going to go back to normal. Yeah. You know, it's our bodies that totally change. Yeah. And what we need more than anything is husbands who are fully supportive and who are like, hey, I'm with you, hell or high water. We're in this together. And Mm -hmm. when that is the mentality, frankly, like the support and the emotional closeness is there to build your sex life back up. Mm-hmm. But if you try to force her too early, if you try to pressure her, if you mope, if you get frustrated and you're like, oh, but I just haven't had sex in so long. It's like, yeah, okay. You, your penis is still in one piece. So deal with it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, her vagina's not. <laughs> yeah. so. so it's like, you know, deal with it, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I think this is, this is what we need to really, really and, charge marriages with. Is, and the first priority is is not him getting sexual release no. whenever he wants. The first priority is her recovering. Yep. <laughs> a pretty safe thing is if she's too exhausted for sex and he's not, yeah. um, then he needs to take on more childcare yeah. and more house care. Yeah. Like if if he's like, I want to have sex and she's just exhausted and she's like, I just, I just can't. And we're past the six week point, obviously. Like, like they could have sex again if she wanted to and she's just exhausted. Mm-hmm. Like, or if he's climbing the walls, as Kevin Lehman says in mm-hmm. that postpartum period, you know what you can do then? You can do the night feeds. Good yeah. job. You just elected yourself to do all the night feeds yeah. <laughs> so that mom can recover better because you obviously have a lot of energy still. So why don't you use that energy to help out your wife? Yeah. Like, seriously, it's not that hard. Like, again, if you guys as a couple want to go at stuff that's medically safe, I guess, Mm -hmm. before six weeks, you go ahead, do your thing. But this whole idea that we need to tell women that the important thing for them to do postpartum is make sure their husbands don't ever, you know, get blue balled. Mm -hmm. It's like, for pity's sake, like, just change a diaper and don't mope about it and don't say that it ruins your love bank. Well. That that's a, that's a little bit disturbing what all those books say isn't yeah, it yeah i guess it's time you know maybe true confession time for me but i, I you know we got married in the early 90s mm-hmm. and that was kind of the heyday of this sort of like idea of gender roles and what a biblical man is and a biblical woman is and i bought into a lot of that stuff too and i had a very entitled view when we first got married and you've talked about it on the podcast we've talked about it in the podcast and your blog about how that caused difficulties we already had mm-hmm. to be worse So I'm sympathetic to people who have been taught this and they've internalized it a little bit and they don't realize that's what they were doing. Um, But I think we all need to stop and go, you know, wait a minute. Yeah. Are we talking about men being entitled to something? Uh, Are we talking about this being a mutual thing or are we talking about a my needs kind of thing? And I think Christian men are starting to realize that we've been taught a lot of stuff that has a very low view of men Mm -hmm. and it's time for us to be better. And we can be better. And I think that we we can develop and change and realize that what we did in the past wasn't the best mm-hmm. and um, try to make it better in the future. Yeah, yeah. I want to read a comment that was left on Facebook, which I thought was really interesting about the postpartum mm-hmm. period. Um, and I thought I'd do this with you since you're a pediatrician and you okay. can comment oh, on this Okay, a it's a baby thing? Okay. Yeah. So here's what she says. As with far too much Christian admonishment, is it even scientifically sound? And she's she's saying to tell women to give handjobs postpartum and act like they're aroused. Right. Um, I.e. I. in wise accordance with the way that God created us. Around the world, for all of history, not here in the U.S., however, the postpartum period has been guarded with customs and rituals that give supreme eminence to a mother's rest and recovery and for very good reason. Whether we acknowledge it or not, not only is giving birth a massive feat and transition for a woman's body, mind, and spirit, but the postpartum period is also critical for establishing the conditions and relational dynamics within which the very architecture of a new little human's brain and development take place. 
particularly social and emotional, which includes the soil of all relationships, including one with the God who created us. A mother's physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are critically integral to this. If that includes genuinely being able and in her self-desiring sexual acts, awesome, but that's not typical. Not hyperbole and thoroughly based on our science of interpersonal neurobiology, human neurodevelopment, and attachment, taking excellent, loving care of mothers and babies is the most important thing we can do for humanity. It is, in a neurofoundational sense, the most important thing we can do to set a human being up to love and be loved in healthy relationship with the God who created them. It is provision for the ultimate preparing of the soil. But the one thing Christian writers prioritize as of utmost importance is that a new exhausted mother needs to make sure she spends her energy on giving her husband his jollies and she should enjoy it. The nature of the focus placed on these things is ignorant, unwise, selfish, and basically sickening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's right. Like that relationship with the newborn, you know, mm-hmm. that that's when newborns are learning the idea of safety, that, that the world yep. is a safe place. My needs will be taken care of mm-hmm. in those very few first few days now they don't have a concept that the world is separate from themselves <laughs> at that time yeah. but they're able to understand you know safety <laughs> and that that i am i'm safe mm-hmm. and well and the thing too is is that like we as christians believe that the husband should love his wife as his own body mm-hmm. right i mean her her need to recover should take priority that should be a mm-hmm. clear christian thing i don't see like i don't see why christian books teach exactly the opposite uh, that it's about him it shouldn't be it should be about her and the baby i mean that's what being a christ-like husband would look like to me and i just don't get the disconnect i don't know why it's there i know and i honestly like i found the whole passage in married sex the worst because it was published so recently i can Mm -hmm. understand ed wheat intended for pleasure in the 1980s but married sex was published in October and and I think I really do think like I said with Rebecca the reason that Gary Thomas portrayed women as getting aroused is so that he didn't have to feel badly about asking for hand jobs like if she's supposed to be enjoying it then it's not a bad thing to ask for but like seriously you know when I asked on Instagram about this I said if you're postpartum (laughs) would you rather your husband masturbate or you give him a hand job and 43% chose I'd rather he masturbate Mm -hmm. Um, but then I had I was deluged by people saying you left out a third option, which is neither. Well, yeah. I don't want him what to happened? do either. What happened to self control? Yeah, and a lot of the women were saying I only chose give him a hand job because he's been involved in porn, and I don't want to. I don't want him right. to go back to porn. Well, but what I want is for him to have self control. And that's what I was saying earlier. Is like you as a our role as a husband should be to be reassuring our wives, like don't worry, because she feels like. I mean, sure, there she might be postpartum depression. She might mm-hmm. have all these other these thoughts going through her mind. She might be worried about so many things. Yeah. Our goal should be to re- be reassuring her and being a safe place, yeah. not another place that's putting more demands on her. Yeah, it really, I, it really is. Doesn't make sad. any sense to me. Now, I did have a number of women who have written into me over the last few months saying, "But how do we reserve, resume sex life postpartum?" So they're mm-hmm. talking about like once things were healed down there. Mm-hmm. They're not talking about like giving them sexual favors or anything. Mm-hmm. Like they say, you know, I'm a couple of months out. Everything's good to go, but I've just lost my libido. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought what I would just say to them really quickly is take things really slowly. You mm-hmm. know, things may not work the way they did before. Um, yeah, I think, guys, you know, you you haven't gone through anything. I mean, like, you've you've had some sleep deprivation stuff too, probably, but your body hasn't physically had something mm-hmm. happen to it like hers. So I think you need to be patient when you start to resume kind of physical 
uh, when you start to resume sex with your wife because you know it's gonna be it's gonna be different. You need to be slow and gentle and take your time yeah. and don't rush things. I would seriously focus on making sure she can reach orgasm mm-hmm. again, even if it's not through intercourse. Like make that your first goal, mm-hmm. <laughs> because if she can start feeling sexual again, if she can start feeling pleasure again, mm-hmm. that's really gonna help. You might need to start with baths more, start with longer massages, like. Let this take some time. It's kind of the same advice, actually, that you give to menopausal women mm-hmm. when hormones have really changed your sexual response cycle is like take the time at the beginning because a lot of women who had more of a spontaneous libido before suddenly find themselves mm-hmm. a responsive libido yeah. and they think, oh, I just don't like sex anymore. Where that's not actually it. It's just... <laughs> they also may just be tired, too. Yeah. I, I think you've said this before, too, is like if if you're a guy and you've got a newborn and you're going crazy with like you know, desire and she has no desire, maybe like help out more with the baby. <laughs> like, yeah. like maybe like if you were channeling that energy and actually doing something productive for the family, like she'd be more rested and she'd be more interested yeah. and you'd be a little bit, you know, calm down because you're using that energy for other things. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. know. That's, I think that's a good point too. You shouldn't be in a marriage where one of you is chronically exhausted and the other one isn't. So either way. Yeah. Either way. Mm -hmm. So see how much you can share the load. Okay. As we wrap up, I have two messages to share with you. Okay. Okay. So these came in when I asked on Facebook about, um, about the whole idea of how do you feel about giving sexual favors postpartum? since this is the big thing that is recommended in Christian literature. And one woman shared this story. True story in bullet points. Birth of my sixth child. First C-section. Baby is taken in distress directly to the NICU. I wake up in recovery and am then taken directly to my room. I am allowed to shower before I'll be wheeled to see my daughter. Hubby needs a release in the shower with me. This isn't his fault. It isn't my fault. Our Bible for marriage was love and respect. And we honored that because we were told that is what was done. It never even occurred to me in that moment to wonder what the crap is going on. It never occurred to him to negate the wind blowing. We were taught the wrong biblical principles. And as a result, we didn't even acknowledge our own emotional response to what we now understand is often abuse. The church needs to do better. I didn't know that was wrong until you. We literally had zero clue until I began following your page. You showed me it is wrong and I showed him and instantly we changed our then 15 year narrative and we began to heal. Wow. Yeah. This is a situation I think to this guy is clearly, I, I don't know, like they're stressed. They've just had this baby and he wants to have sex. Mm-hmm. To me, that suggests that there's something mentally going on in him. Like, he has no way to deal with stress other than sex. Yeah. And this is what we've created in the Christian church. We've, we've made men sexualize all their needs, all their vulnerability, all their fears, all those things. And, and then they act like this. And this is not what we should be as Christian men. It isn't. We're, we're better than this. We should rise up and be more than that. That makes me so sad. And I say this as a person who did feel entitled when I got married. And I did things that were hurtful to you. And, and I know that I'm not guiltless as well but i mean we've got to do better we've we know better now we have to do better yeah um yeah it's just terrible that is i'm so sorry that woman had to go through that that's yeah 
It's horrible. And, you know, um, we talk a lot about the postpartum stuff in chapter, I think it's 12 of the Great Sex Rescue or Just Be Nice chapter. I could have the chapter number wrong, but we go over all of this. So if you haven't gotten the Great Sex Rescue, I think you will find it very yeah. freeing. And normally at the end of the podcast, I, change, I, I share an encouraging review that came in. Mm -hmm. I actually want to share one more Facebook comment. Okay. That gets is it encouraging? This. It is. Okay, good. Okay. So here she says, I was raised in that toxic mindset and was made to feel incredibly guilty during my two incredibly rough pregnancies and a traumatic postpartum for how little I was having sex or relieving my husband. It makes me so angry now. I literally feared him coming to bed at night because I didn't want to say no to him, but I just could not have sex during that time due to illness and incredibly high anxiety. My husband, who is an incredible man, just raised with the same garbage, and I have since deconstructed a lot of our beliefs. We practice a mutual marriage. We lead our family together, and as a result, our sex life is so much healthier. I've gone from never wanting sex to enjoying it immensely with him, even desiring to be there for him in other ways when I'm not 100% needing it myself. He knows now that I will never do anything I don't want to do anymore, and he feels relief. He hated the tension between us, but he didn't understand the problem until we educated ourselves outside of what the church had taught. It brought us from me wishing I'd never gotten married, if this is what it looks like, to truly loving and valuing each other and our sexuality. The church needs to do better. We almost missed out on all of this amazing intimacy. And if we had listened to those teachings in our circles, we still would be missing out. Yeah, that's so good. And I think that men, this is, hear what these women are saying. This is, this is going to make your marriage so much better. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't, we shouldn't have to be teaching this. I mean, love your neighbor as yourself. This should be straightforward. Yes. I just don't understand why Christian books teach that men have a right to demand these things from the women in this time of their life. It's just wrong. It needs to stop. And the big thing I want to say to guys out there listening, be part of the voices of men who are saying, this is not right. Mm -hmm. um, women shouldn't be fighting this alone. Women shouldn't be having to fight for the right to heal postpartum. They shouldn't be fighting for that. We as brothers in Christ need to be saying to the, the women out there, we support you, we love you, we care about you, God wants the best for you. And we need to start taking a stand and saying this is not acceptable anymore. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's what we've got for you today. Happy Thanksgiving to all our American friends. And we will see you next week on another edition of the Bear Marriage Podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>